Scale Up Nation, I get people asking me all the time, how do I read so much as busy as I am? And the secret is, a lot of my reading people do for me. That's right, I use Audible. Audible is a service that will read books to you and allow you to get the content while you're driving from account to account. I've been using Audible for years and you can try it for free, one book and one month for free on me through our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And Nation, you know one of my favorite things to do is host this podcast. Probably my second favorite thing is hosting the hangs that we do every couple of months. In fact, that's where I met today's guest was on one of the hangs. And I know you're wondering, when can I join the next hang? And don't worry, I'm going to tell you, it's August 12th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Folks, go ahead and register for that right now. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang, register for that. And you might be wondering what a hang is. A hang is where we get together on a Zoom call. We have a little fun. I give you some announcements of some things that are going on. An example of one of those announcements was when the Association of Water Technologies released the number of spots that they had for this year's technical training conference. They did that the day of the hang. I announced it on the hang, and pretty much everybody that was on the hang got those available spots. So that's how important it is to make sure that you attend the hangs. You're going to learn the greatest, latest information on what is going on in the industry, but also you're going to meet some new people. You're going to see some old friends. You can reconnect with them. You're going to meet some new people that are in the industry that you are in. Again, how awesome is it when you can talk with somebody that knows exactly what you are going through on a day-to-day basis, and then we break each other up into a couple of breakout rooms so you can actually have some conversations with those people. Then we get back together and we do some sort of fun activity and then we break. It only takes one hour. Again, that's August 12th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. In fact, it is a happy hour and we post a new drink each and every hang. So if you want to try that drink, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. You can see that recipe and you can register for the event. I can't wait to see you there because I know you're going to have a great time. Speaking of some other things that are going on, The American Water Works Association is having their Utility Management Conference August 3rd through 6th here in the epicenter of the world, Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, nation, that is where I am from, and I love my city. Atlanta is a great city. Don't take my word for it. Come to the AWWA conference and check it out for yourself. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to our show notes page and we will send you to the exact spot that you need to go to learn more. Also, the American Society for Healthcare Engineers is having their conference in Nashville, Tennessee, August 8th through 11th. So if you're someone that works with hospitals, this is a great conference to attend. And here's the thing, both of those conferences are in person. Yes, we're actually having conferences that are in person. Again, the world is getting back to normal. It's about time. Hey, speaking of hospitals, more and more hospitals are leading the charge in Legionella due diligence. Last year, we did an entire month of Legionella awareness in August. In fact, those were episodes 150 through 153. So if you haven't checked that out, be sure to listen to those episodes 
And if you go to the webpage scalinguph2o.com, you can search the word Legionella and you will find a cornucopia of podcast episodes for your listening pleasure. We have really dove in deep to that topic, and we have had some great conversations with some of the leading experts. Well, today, we're going to talk a little bit more about Legionella, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We always talk about what we're doing here in the United States or what we think is going to happen in the United States, in particular municipalities. Well, Nation, today, we're going to talk with somebody from across the pond. We're going to find out what they're doing in the United Kingdom. My lab partner today is John Sanford. John is coming to us from across the pond. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, Trace, and it's an absolute pleasure. And talk about me coming from across the pond. I've actually got a a bit of a story that left me dumbfounded earlier this week. So I had a meeting with one of our partners. So you, you may, I'm sure you must know him. So we had this teleconference meeting with a company from Northern Italy, Sanapure. So I'm having a meeting with Stefano Malada from Sanapure. Sure, sure. We finished the meeting. We're, we finished what we're doing and we descend into small talk. What are you doing later in the week? I said, well, I'm really excited. I'm going to be on uh, an American podcast. He goes, oh, yeah. Well, so what podcast is that? I said, well, it's, it's a podcast about in, industrial water treaters. He goes, it's not scaling up with Trace Blackmore, is it? I said, yes, it is. So not only am I coming from across the pond, earlier, your, your reach is global, Trace. So that is, <laughs> we were from northern Italy to the UK to you. You're in Atlanta, aren't you? I'm coming to you from Atlanta. Every time I hear that, I'm so humbled. Last time I checked, I think we were in 76 countries. And that's just amazing to me. Amazing. So you and I met because of this show. This show has just been uh, an incredible catalyst for me to meet water treaters and, of course, get new information out to other water treaters. And and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, But before we do... John, please introduce yourself to the Scaling Up Nation so they can be as excited about having you as a guest as I am. So, well, my name's John Sanford. I, I live in a little town about 15 miles east of Oxford, so pretty much in the middle of the UK. And my, my story, so I work for a company called SMS Environmental, but I'm going to start my story a bit backwards if I can. So we've got an equivalent organization And it is related, Trace, so it all feeds back into how you and I are actually talking today. We've got an organization in the UK called the Water Management Society. It's like, it's it's almost an equivalent of an AWT. It's not quite up there, but it's almost there. So last year, I was very excited and quite honored to get elected onto the council of the Water Management Society. And as part of that, you get a little write-up in their quarterly magazine, which is a, a, a magazine called Waterline, uh, the equivalent of the analyst for, for a, AWT. So they do a little bit of a write-up about me, and I name-check the guy who started me in my career in, in water treatment. And then suddenly that guy contacts my office. We'd fallen out of touch. We got back in touch. Really, really exciting. So this, this chap w- uh, took me on in 1990, uh, and started my career as a water treater. Don't know why he did it, Trace. I had a background in engineering, but I wasn't a water treater. I knew nothing about water treatment, but he took me on anyway. All my colleagues were chemical engineers, uh, you know, really expert water treaters, chemists, microbiologists, and I, I, he took me on in a sales role. Anyway, that was of a company called Quality Water Systems, and that person is our mutual friend, Colin Frayne. And without, if I had not got elected to the Water Management Society last year and got my write-up in Waterline, I wouldn't have got back in contact with Colin. I've got Colin's books, or Colin's books, they're sort of standard issue, you know, cooling tower and steam, steam boilers and what have you. But I just happened to put Colin Frayne's name into YouTube, put Colin Frayne's name into YouTube. Episode 101 and 102 of Scaling Up come up. I listen to both of them. I'm just like you. I'm in my car a lot, so I consume a lot of podcasts. And 
A, it was great to hear Colin again. He hasn't changed at all. And, and B, it got me into scaling up. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm not, I'm not listening to them in order, Chase, but I, I'm listening to them. They're, I'm subscribed. What a fabulous resource. How lucky we are to have a resource like that. Well, anyway, so he started me in this career. Great mentor, great trainer. Uh, I think he does a lot of training for AWT. Is, is that right? Absolutely. In fact, uh, and the nation knows that we record these before they're released. So last week, I had the pleasure of being in Annapolis, Maryland, where I spoke to Colin Frayne. He's one of the speakers along with me. And uh, you were the topic of conversation. So I got to hear his side of that story. Was it all good, Trace? It was all good. He is definitely uh, a John fan. I'll tell you what. So without him, I'm so grateful to him. What, what a great industry we've got. So he started me in, in my uh, water treatment career. And it sh- you should have interviewed me there, Trace, because then I, I knew absolutely everything. I was an expert in everything. And now I'm sort of 30 years down the line and I realize I just don't know anything at all. Isn't that funny? We all joined the water treatment industry and that's the day we're the expert. And then from yeah. day two, we realized we don't, we are, we didn't know what we didn't know. And boy, there's a lot of stuff out there that yeah. we just don't know. Well, I'm grateful to the guys. So I, I had two jobs. I had a job with the company that Colin hired me into until about 96. Then I joined another small water treatment company. Then in 2001, I started SMS Environmental with uh, a long-term friend and collaborator of mine, Nick Kern. Uh, and here we are now. We're sort of in Scotland, Wales. Here we're about 140 people. We are, I would describe myself as a water treater, although Colin wouldn't actually. Colin would call, call us a water hygiene company because he's quite right. We don't sell a lot. Probably 80% of our work is Legionella related. And we're going to talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. So we're booming. We're, we're still so lucky to be here. Last year was a bit of a, a challenge, I think, to absolutely everyone. Absolutely. We're, we're still here, four offices across the UK, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here, mate. So that's me. Well, it, it sounds like Colin's chance on hiring you really paid off for the water treatment community. You know, just, just knowing you in the short time that I have and, and seeing all the accolades that, that you've achieved. Wow. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. And we're going we're gonna to continue to talk about that. You brought up the AWT. You said, uh, and what was the equivalent in the UK? Water Management Society. You said you were on, we call it the Board of Directors here. You said it was the council. There is a Board of Directors for the Water Management Society as well, but it's sort of governed by its members, which is a council. So I'm on the council, which is just one level below the, the Board of uh, Directors. So yeah, that's great. It's a real privilege to be to, to be on it. And I think there should be more collaboration between AWT and uh, the Water Management Society because we, I call it WEMSOC. So, so if I talk about WEMSOC, I'm talking about the, the Water Management Society because there is stuff they do brilliantly and there's stuff the AWT do brilliantly. And I really think it's what your podcast is all about. It's collaboration. It's talking and learning. So. Absolutely. Well, well, I know people over there, so I can help facilitate that. Uh, I think you know the same people too, so you can do the same thing that I do. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask, the Certified Water Technologist is a designation over here. It shows that an industrial water treater has done certain items to just let everybody know that they are among the best of the water treatment community. Is there an equivalent over at the UK, or is CWT what is used over in the UK? The answer to both of those questions is no. No, there isn't an equivalent, and no, the CWT isn't isn't used. I wanted to fact check myself on is there an equivalent, because there might have been something that I was unaware of. I'd be a bit disappointed if there was. I should know. So anyway, I contacted the chair of the Water Management Society, a chap called Ian Kershaw. And before I did that, the AWT do a brilliant explanation of what the the certified water technologist is. So I actually did a link to the website, sent it to him and said, Ian, watch this, and then can we have a chat? Uh, And he rang me back. A, he thought the CWT was incredible. And B, he confirmed there is no equivalent in the UK. 
And I think, strangely enough, we are now in the water management society, we're still talking about, because we've got a competency deficit in the industry, Trace. Uh, I don't know what it's like over there. And we need ways of measuring competency and people at the top of their game. So the Water Management Society are talking about a water treatment technician designation. But it's, you know, I I can't see that even getting anywhere before 2024. So the CWT certainly, certainly excites us. You know, we look to the US for, for a lot of things, Trace. And I think part of the beauty of what we're doing here is mutual learning it's you know, it should be a collegiate thing that we're this this game we're we're all in uh, and i think cwt is excellent so it's it's recognized by us and we are actively because 2024 is too far away for us so we're we're talking to our marketing people we are probably going to adopt the cwt for sms anyway for what it's worth but I genuinely think the AWT should talk to the Water Management Society because trying to get this water treatment technician, why are we reinventing the wheel? If you guys have already done it, we should adopt it. But that's that's above my pay grade. I think that's you guys should be talking. You'd be pushing against an open door, I think. And of course, if you get it into the Water Management Society, then it will start to be recognized because the Water Management Society is held in quite high regard within the UK. I'm very, very tempted myself, Trace. The first thing I did after listening to a couple of your podcasts, because I, I sort of stumbled on this, a couple of CWT episodes, we applied to join AWT, and we only just comply because we're about 140, 40 people. And we got interviewed by Angela. Very familiar with uh, the queen of water treatment, Angela Pike. Yeah. Please don't call her English. So although we're both Brits, <laughs> she is not English. She's, she's Scottish. So if you do that, you'll do one. Angela is fantastic. So she interviewed me and I thought, this is a formidable woman we're talking to here. And she then said, John, you should t- sit your CWT. And I'm going, oh, because that makes me nervous, Trace, because the one big thing is obviously health and safety is slightly different over there. And it's just units. You know, in fact, I remember one of your podcasts, and this made me chuckle actually, because you were talking about BTUs, mm-hmm. and you just said, "Don't write in. I don't know why the B means British," and and that stuck with me because I don't know what BTU is because we're all metric over here, so that worries me. Am I going to be? Uh, I do not. Now that's interesting. We're using British thermal units, and and we're you, metric. from that side of the world, you you're not even using that. No, we're using metric. So you use calories? Yeah. Yeah. So we use we don't use pounds per square inch. We use either pascals or kilopascals or bar. So which are either SI units or, or metric equivalents of SI units. So that worries me. Uh, but I think I've got to go for it, mate. Uh, and the reason I've got to go for it, so Angela's telling me, John, why are you setting out as if with failures on your mind? Because if you take it and you do fail, just get back on the horse. And I thought, okay, that's, that's great fair. advice. Great advice. I'm going away and I'm listening to it. And then uh, I, it's like a scaling up thing. I ended up getting introduced to one of your hangs. Yes, you were on the, you were on the hang last time. It was awesome. And I thought, you know, I, to be honest, Trace, I don't think I was even looking forward to it. I thought, I'm going to try it, but just to see what it's like. I loved it. It was absolutely brilliant. So, John, for somebody that's never been on a hang, describe it for them. It is a place where a group of your peers come together, people with similar problems to you. It goes on for an hour. It's a very social thing. It's a very informal thing. But I think there were 24, 26 water treaters there last time, Trace. Is that right? Yeah, there, there were not a lot of people that attended last time, which uh, definitely made the conversation a lot easier to well, have. I thought that was quite a few people. I, I- there was mm-hmm. someone from Mexico that was incredible, hearing about the problems they got with water shortages and trying to cycle the concentration on their cooling towers accordingly. There was someone ex-military from California, which I found incredible. Someone from up in Canada. Uh, someone from Chicago. Little old me. It was 11 o'clock at night <laughs> for me, so this is 6 o'clock in the evening. And it starts where, Trace, you set us some things to talk about, where we all introduce ourselves and the groups are broadly split half and half. 
Uh, and that was great. It was really so interesting to hear about other people's experiences. And then some of it made you realize, A, this is incredible. These people are from all different parts of the world. And then B, how similar some of our problems are. So you do that for the first half an hour. And then the second half, you split into smaller groups. And the smaller group I got into, which was excellent, I ended up with a chap whose name escapes me, but he was a lovely guy from Chicago. He was the guy you were asking all the music questions of. I don't know if you can remember. Oh, who was? Oh, that was uh, Reed Hutchinson. It was, yes. It was Reed and Angela. So you get put into the second room. I'm in the second room with Angela, and there's Angela. She looks at me and she goes, Hello, John. When are you doing your CWT? <laughs> there you go. Well, the next time you and I speak with each other, I expect to say, hey, look at this designation I just received. Trace, my mouth gets me into so much trouble. And I thought, <laughs> do not tell him, because if you tell him, he's going to put it in his diary. I've booked for the 24th of August. There you go. And not only did you tell me, you've told 12,000 other people that listen yeah. to the show. And so I'll let you know how it goes. But it was so easy because the other thing is uh, it's an American. Uh, it's obviously sort of managed by the AWT, as I understand it. Is that right? Correct. So I'm taking it at a Pearson View Center, which is five miles from, from my home. So excellent. Brilliant. We don't have anything like CWT. We don't have anything like the hang. We don't have anything like scaling up. Well, sure you do. We 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 have no boundaries here at the Scaling Up H2O podcast. We yeah, it's global. And it sounds like either does AWT. So we're all we're all working together and a rising tide raises all ships, right? Exactly. You and I were having a great conversation. I want to say it was a little more than a month ago when we were comparing and contrasting what we do for Legionella here, yep. how you all handle it over in the UK. And of course, we handle it very different in the US. Of course, there's there's the anomaly of New York where they have their own laws. And then there's the rest of the country, which really hasn't caught up yet, but they will. I love bringing people on that have experiences that they can share with the Scaling Up Nation because if you're not in New York, and of course, New York is is always changing, so you never know how that's going to evolve. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, I guess we do know what's going to happen. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. But by talking with people like yourself that have much more stringent regulations, we can learn what you're doing that can help us prepare to make sure we're doing the right things now. We're getting information. We're prepared for things. So we're not shut down all when all of a sudden a municipality says, this is now a regulation. You're doing it this way. So what you're about to share, I think, is going to be tremendously valuable to everybody that listens to the Scaling Up Nation. The other thing I think that we're going to do for the audience today is people want to make the laws as great as they can the first time around. But the lawmakers have no idea what Legionella is. We've got so many industrial water treaters out there. The more information that we know, the more information that we can gather is the more information we can share with these lawmakers to make these laws make more sense the first time out of the gate. So with that, I really appreciate you sharing our story. With that set up, how do you want to start? So I can't really speak to what happens in the US. So we know about ASHRAE 188, which you will find is very similar to some of the guidance in the UK. So in the, in the UK, so you had the first outbreak in, in Philly in 1976. Well, in the UK, what's We've got a law, so we've got no specific Legionella regulations, believe it or not. We've got a, a law called the Health and Safety at Work Act, which came out in 1974, which was brilliantly drafted, and it was called an Enabling Act because it recognised that there were certain issues reg- around health and safety, including microorganisms and pathogens such as Legionella, that we didn't know about yet. So it was an enabling act. So it made it very easy for the regulator to bring in quite quickly regulations as required. And it's much easier to get a regulation in place than it is an act of parliament. So nine years after the original outbreak, there was an outbreak in a hospital in Stafford here. 
68 people got it, uh, 14 of whom died. And that spawned a committee of inquiry in the Houses of Parliament. So that's what effectively triggered the regulation within the UK. To light, really, you, you need to know about our regulator. So our regulator is, and that is probably a key difference. So all of our guidance has been brought in by the health and safety executive, who we call the HC, who are effectively the regulator with enforcement powers. So it would be a bit like a federal agency bringing in the guidance and regulations. So they brought it in under after Stafford. They brought it in under the auspices of the Health and Safety at Work Act. And they did this real neat, clever thing. And I think it's becoming a problem to us now in the UK, where they brought in what was called an approved code of practice on how to manage Legionella, which wasn't law, but had special legal status. And then underneath that approved code of practice, it brought in three lots of guidance, HSG 274 parts one to three. So one is for cooling towers. So you're very much cooling tower focused, as I understand it, in in the US. So even in New York City, the regulation is only around cooling towers, uh, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Trace, because I'm... You are correct. So part one of our guidance is cooling towers. Part two is domestic hot and cold water systems or potable water systems. Part three is other risk systems. And then on top of that, there's a whole set of guidance on layered on top of that guidance for healthcare. It's the whole point of the Health and Safety at Work Act. It's meant to be like ASHRAE 188. It's meant to be proportionate to the risk. We're meant to be a risk-based, you know, approaching how we're going to manage Legionella based on risk. But effectively, all this guidance, because it's come from the HSE, although it is guidance and it's not regulation, the special legal status given to the ACOP means that you don't have to do it, but if you don't do it, you have to prove, however, whatever you do is at least equal to the guidance. And if you don't do that, you will then be prosecuted under the Health and Safety at Work Act. So effectively, the guidance becomes de facto law. And worse than that, Trace, water treaters out there, if I was to take any of your listeners, you would probably be more expert than the regulator, than the enforcement body, the HSE, because those guys are out doing inspections on you know building sites scaffolds people falling off scaffolds asbestos noise all that sort of thing so they might be called in to look at a legionella outbreak they will just pick up the guidance and they will expect you to have followed it prescriptively and if you don't they'll issue an enforcement action under the health and safety work act and the net result of that is we've stopped managing risk we've started managing hazard so you end up managing lower risk systems pretty much in the same way as you would manage higher risk systems. I listened to episode nine, I think, The L Word. Brilliant. Janet Stout. What great advice she was giving you. And, and it was all, she spoke of the CDC checklist. Yes. So if your building got a cooling tower tick, as your building got healthcare tick, you might need to do. What you're effectively doing there is you're managing risk. And that's what we should be doing. And it's a, there's a key difference between hazard and risk. So hazard, Legionella bacteria, and uh, the risk of you being exposed to Legionella bacteria and acquiring the disease, that's, that's the hazard. But then there's the risk. How likely is that to happen to you? We've started managing hazard. We're not managing the risk. And it's accordingly become disproportionate to the risk. Hence, you're talking to a water treatment company that 80% of our work is Legionella, and that's why. And people are moving into compliance over here because it's it's so tightly regulated. And whereas over there you run the risk of a civil case, over here your, your highest risk probably in the UK is an enforcement action from the HSE. So tell us about that. Let's say you thought you were doing everything that you were supposed to do. An inspector comes in. They just got done at their last appointment. There was uh, some sort of work violation. Somebody didn't wear a hard hat or whatever. And now they're coming over and they're evaluating your Legionella due diligent program. They find a deficiency the way they see it. They give you an enforcement action. Now what? Well, it depends what that enforcement action. I need to probably go back a bit on that so the whole of this was after the Stafford outbreak 
1993, I think. You might have to fact check me on this, but if you look, put it into Google, it will come up. The HSE took a case against the Board of Trustees of the British Museum. British Museum had a cooling tower. This underpins everything they do now and their attitude. They had a cooling tower. They found some Legionella bacteria in that cooling tower. In itself, not a surprise, that happens. Uh, Janet Stout's chill pills, you know. That's right. As long as you manage it, it, that's not potentially a problem. But they took the British Museum to court for this and, and won their case. So at the time, our highest court, we've got now a Supreme Court, but at the time, our highest court was the House of Lords. And the British Museum decided to, to appeal the case. And they lost. In the House of Lords, they lost. Because their appeal was based on, well, no one got Legionnaire's disease. Yes, we did find Legionella bacteria in the cooling tower. But no, no one got Legionnaire's disease. And once we've managed it, we think we mitigated the risk. The House of Lords ruled that the HSE didn't have to prove harm. They only had to prove risk of harm. And so they lost their case. And the HSC came out of that saying, and this, you need to think about how important this is. They came out saying, well, now, in our view, every case of Legionnaire's disease is foreseeable, every single case, and therefore it's preventable, and therefore that will lead to an enforcement action. So these options they have at their disposal used to be uh, an improvement notice, trace, whatever, you know, your building manager isn't doing what they should be doing, isn't, hasn't done a risk assessment, hasn't got a written scheme of control, isn't doing all the checks that they need to be doing, you need to correct that and you've got 28 days to do it. Next option was a prohibition notice. They could effectively come in and just shut you down. You can no longer work. And I think your equivalent, is it OSHA? Yes. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. That's it. I, I was reading whether they could shut people down. Well, the agency can shut people down. That's called a prohibition notice. And then they could take you to court, and that would be a criminal proceeding. In 2012, Trace, now this, and, and we've been on the wrong end of one of these, the government brought out a new regulation that meant if the HSE came to your site and they found what they felt was a breach in health and safety at work, they could issue a notification of contravention. And from that moment onwards, they could charge you for their time. It's called a fee for intervention. A fee because only the courts can fine you. So they're effectively, they will do an investigation on your site and they will charge a fee. And laughably enough, it's changed slightly now. At the time, if you appealed that fee for intervention, the people who would oversee that appeal were the health and safety executive. So it's a bit like, you know, you've been prosecuted in a court of law. You appeal and the people who are going to review your appeal are the prosecution. So that's the framework that we find us in. Your biggest risk in the UK now isn't from Legionnaire's disease, because I think people have got a handle on it. You know, that's, it should be about public health. It's from risk of being prosecuted for not complying with the guidance and approved code of practice that surround Legionella. And worse, I'll, I'll end now. This is getting a bit legally, so I'm not legally competent. This is just from our own experience here. There is a section 40 of the Health and Safety at Work Act, which imposes what's called a reverse burden in a court of law. And that is, you know, someone charges you with something. Normally, it's the prosecution have got to prove beyond reasonable doubt that you did it. And the presumption is you're innocent until you, you're proven guilty. And that's the same in, in the US, obviously. Well, this section 40, when it comes to you having done everything that is reasonably practicable imposes a reverse burden. And that means you are guilty until you prove you're innocent. Wow. It is incredible. And that's actually been, someone took that to appeal and lost. So that, that stands in health and safety law. So we're now in a situation where we've got the health and safety executive who have got reams of guidance. I, I mean, I made some notes, Trace. If I looked at ASHRAE 188, for example, that is 21 pages long, I think. Is that right? I think you're right, yes. Not a long document at all. We've got the approved code of practice that's got the special legal page uh, status, 28 pages long. HSG 274 Part 1 on cooling towers, that's 57 pages long. HSG 274 Part 2, that's on potable water systems effectively, that's 65 pages long. HSG 274 Part 3, that's 8 pages long. There are then, if you're in healthcare, there's the health technical mem memoranda, which have similar status, 
There's four parts to that. There's HSG 282, which is how to manage your spa pool. That's 62 pages long. You are completely swamped to the, to the point of being overwhelmed with, with all of this documentation. Uh, and it, I find it ironic that you're sort of looking to us to say what we're doing. And I'm saying we should probably do what you're doing. Because ASHRAE 188, the guidance you're getting from the CDC, is proportionate to the real risks. It should be about protecting public health. And I think we've gone to the extent that it's almost counterproductive. And we've, we've now become people, it's possibly similar over there, it's people being prosecuted. And if you look at like liability, so over there, you'd be talking to the building, building owners. And honestly, every time you say this, you say this on so many of your podcasts, and it's true. It's about the building owner. So the building owner will hire in a water treater and almost like hand it all, like, this is yours now. Sort this out. Take, take this problem. And it's not your problem. It's it, the duty lays with the building owner. We've got exactly that problem here. So in terms of liability, we have these two concepts of what's called a statutory duty holder or a duty holder. And that could be a building owner, a chief exec, uh, someone right at the top of an organization. And they appoint a responsible person. And the responsible person has to take responsibility for the day-to-day running of Legionella management on site. And that's the person who generally gets it in the neck. I don't know why anyone takes it on, because they'll be often they will be middle managers. But the prosecutions that have come about which target responsible people uh, and have been successful, and sometimes they will even try and go... I, I had one case, Trace, back in 2012... We had a case of an extra care home where a 95-year-old resident who'd come into the home because he'd had a stroke and he'd broken his leg, and he came into the home for sort of rehabilitation with the objective of getting, getting him back out into his own home. So he was in this extra care home for three weeks. During that time, he didn't have a shower. All of it, he had bed baths because he'd broken his leg. He'd had a few day trips to the local hospital. Uh, But during that time, he acquired and died of Legionnaire's disease. Now, the local council got investigated by the HSE, and the HSE just make a point of saying their role is to enforce the Health and Safety at Work Act. It's not their role to protect public health. That purview is the uh, Public Health England who look after public health. So they go after both the organisation and the responsible person who got interviewed but on, in 2012, on Friday the 21st of December in 2012. So over here, councils basically shut down for two weeks over Christmas. He gets interviewed under caution by the HC. He has his legal represent or the council's legal representation in with him being interviewed. And it becomes quite obvious that they're looking to say that basically this poor resident who was 95 years old died because of their negligence which I think was completely unfair. They've done risk assessments. They've done, they put in a management scheme. There were a few holes in the management scheme, but I don't think they directly resulted in the resident's death. So that was, dis- that was the 21st of December. After the HC left, he got told by his legal team, and they said it, they couched it in these terms. They said, look, it's highly unlikely, but there is a chance that if the coroner rules that the resident's death was down to our negligence, they might come after you individually for a manslaughter charge. He was, he was a lovely fella. He's an expert in Legionella now, Trace, because he said you could get expert very quickly after something like that. He spent the whole of the two weeks over Christmas with the words echoing, it's highly unlikely, but... And he said it doesn't, you know, at four o'clock in the morning when you wake up, it, it doesn't make you feel any better. Luckily for him, the coroner ruled a narrative verdict that didn't apportion any individual blame. It did sort of say things could be done better, but it didn't apportion any individual blame. So that didn't happen. But the organisation got fined £100,000. They had £20,000 of costs awarded against them, and they had a £30,000 fee for intervention from the health and safety executive. And actually, the root cause of that, and I think this is a key learning point, really, was the home had recently been refurbished. And we have issues and this this is probably one of the lessons i i think we can teach fellow water treaters new builds are a problem 
most of the time you're coming across an existing cooling tower or an existing potable water system. And it all, it's almost like none of this applies pre-handover of a new build. And I strongly believe you should be doing a water safety plan or a water management plan before you've even broken ground. Because what happens, and what happened in this case, is you'll get a design company, a construction company, they'll build a building, they'll wet test it, they'll fill it up with water, it's then sat there stagnating for 18 months. Prolific biofilm forming, temperatures, you know, within the temperature range of 20 degrees to, to 45 degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, really sorry. And then what happens, you get a water treatment company comes in and someone says, well, can, we're getting a handover of this building. Please, can you do us a disinfection? Your water treatment company will do a really good disinfection using an appropriate biocide, correct concentration, correct contact time. They've done a method statement. They've done it brilliantly. But let me tell you, no matter how good that company is, a good disinfection is not going to cure 18 months of mismanagement. It just isn't. So my advice to any of you guys out there, if you're taking on any new builds, make sure you do some validation sampling first before you go near it. Make sure you know what the state of play is because what has happened and what tried to happen in this case is you have mismanagement, you have a disinfection, it all goes wrong, they blame your disinfection. If you're doing a risk assessment of a brand new building, you want to make sure you investigate how that building, how that system was designed, how it was managed during construction, how it's commissioned, because often they leave a huge legacy of, of poor water quality. We, we had a, we've had a case in the UK recently, and again, you can look this up online, the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow, up in Scotland, near, near where Angela Pike hails from. This uh, hospital, new hospital, come online in about 2015, I think, to a fanfare because it came in at uh, half a million pounds under budget. They hadn't managed the water system properly during construction. And it effectively, there were patients there going attending the hospital afterwards. Tragically, a couple of kids who were getting, it wasn't Legionella they were having a problem with. They were coming across other pathogens, things like Pseudomonas, Denotrophomonas, which are new pathogens that, again, you have to manage because a lot of these things are superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. And it was as a direct result, they caught it from the water system. In 2012, up in Northern Ireland, there were three neonates, so three newborn babies who died from pseudomonas infections from the potable water system. And a lot of this is often down to construction companies not managing buildings correctly during the construction phase. So the guy who potentially faced the manslaughter charge, that guy is a, water, he's a Legionella expert now. He rang me up and he said, John, we're getting a new building coming online. It's a new extra care home. And it was a design and build, which means a construction company were building it for him and had responsibility for it until handover. He said, we are not touching that building until we've done some validation sampling and we know that it's safe to take on. We do some validation sampling. A, it's not built to code. You know, plumbing is a skill, I think, and it's, I don't know what happens in the US, but over here, anyone can just pick up a pair of Stilsons and go plumbing, which I don't think should be the case. Bearing in mind, it's a system where we, we're consuming often the product that comes out of these plumbing systems. Anyway, they tested the system absolutely full of Legionella, contested it with the construction firm, launched a, a £2.5 million liquidated damages claim against the construction firm. So that was back in 2014. It's only resolved now, Trace, where the construction firm has gone into administration. It's inc incredible. So management of is one of my key lessons, I would say, from here. You need to manage your water systems during the construction phase because your client or you as a water treater will end up with a legacy Legionella problem that's incredibly difficult to manage. Once you've got a very well-established biofilm, you know, you can't be pouring lots of biocides through the system because it's, it's a potable water system. So that's, that's probably a key learning point I would be flagging up. Just so much to unpack with all that, John. I, I don't even know where to begin other than learning from all the stories that you shared with us 
we do have states, we do have cities that have legislation to be discussed on the books. If one of our legal representatives, one of our congressmen, somebody calls one of the listeners of the Scaling Up Nation and they say, what is your take? What should we be doing with legislation when it comes to Legionella? What would your advice be? My advice is, I think what's happened in the UK has gone so far to the extreme that it's counterproductive. My advice to the, you say a congressman, Chase. Yes. Yes, right. Listen to episode nine, the L word of scaling up and take the advice of Janet Stout. I think ASHRAE 188 is a proportionate risk-based document with, if you couple it up with the advice from the CDC, you will actually meet, we shouldn't be talking about litigation. We shouldn't be, we should be talking about the real problem and that's public health. And if you do that, you will protect public health in a proportionate way. If you spend too much money managing low-risk hazards, that's money that could be spent elsewhere, improving your facility elsewhere, or you're overburdening business to the extent that, you know, we've all got to, got to go out and, and do business. And I mean, you were talking about CWT. One of my concerns is we've got, so in answer to that, adopt ASHRAE 188 and Tell your building owners, don't mess around, adopt ASHRAE 188 and do it in a proportionate risk-based way. Get a competent risk assessor. We have this concept right at the top of what we do of risk assessment, meaning you can't really do an appropriate written scheme of control unless you get the risk assessment correct first. And you'd recognize all the components of that trace. So you have flow diagrams. We have what we call the schematic drawing, but we do it as a separate line item really the risk assessment under is the foundation of everything you else you do and i think you'd recognize all the elements of that implement ashray 188 because i think that's almost like that someone's taken a view seeing what's been done elsewhere where we are in a global world we look at what they're doing in australia or new zealand or canada or the uk or the us and you will see there is a lot of commonality between all of the the guidance. All of us would pretty much recognize elements of everyone else's guidance. But I think actually it's about right. Stay in the middle. You're protecting public health, but you're not being too much of a burden to business. John, one of the complaints I get all the time from building owners is ASHRAE's 188 does not specifically tell you what to do. And the building owners are upset because they think that creates liability. But it sounds like your documents tell you exactly what to do and it doesn't sound like they want that kind of liability oh even worse trace our guidance is actually meant to be risk-based and proportionate it's not meant to be prescriptive in fact if you attend a lecture from the hsc they'll often put a slide up saying health and safety legislation is goal-based so the goal in this case is not to give anyone legionnaire's disease it's not the case. It is so prescriptive that what you would happen if you're too prescriptive is you will miss something. There will be, I've just told you how many pages of documents there are there, and someone will wade through your document and notice that you didn't do item 54, and therefore there's a liability. So what ASHRAE does, and this is an issue, is in being loose, it puts the onus on a competent risk assessor. So if you get if if you can prove you've done due diligence in hiring a competent risk assessor, competent water treater, you've done due diligence. I mean, I can't I, I can't speak to what happens in the US. I'm not legally competent to discuss that. But that that would be my thing. You don't want it too prescriptive because if it's if it's too prescriptive, we're all human beings, Trace. You will miss one item. You'll go through it. You think you've done a sterling job and you'll miss an item and someone will be coming after you because you've missed that item. Where you talk about flow diagrams, which is basically you're, you're trying to explain. Uh, I, I often say a good flow diagram or schematic should be like the London Underground or the New York Underground. You know the, the map there. They're not a true representation of how far one station is from another. That's there so you can navigate your way around the underground successfully. So your schematic drawing should be a way of you going, oh, okay, I can see we've got a cooling tower here. I can see we've got 
stored water. I can see that there's a pump system, there's whatever. So it's to enable a non-technical person to navigate their way around the system. We had a fee for intervention because we missed one faucet out of one cleaner's cupboard off of our schematic drawing. And I just don't think that materially changed the risk. And in fact, it's probably counterproductive because you'll spend, you will generate a, a Legionella industry, which is what has happened over here, where you'll have people who know the exact regulation and you'll end up with risk assessments that, I don't know, are 10 inches thick, but don't, don't tell you your primary goal, which is how to avoid exposing someone to Legionella bacteria. Even to the extent of, and I thought this was excellent advice from Janet Stout. So Janet was talking about Legionella pneumophila serial group one causing 80% of infections. So let's, let's have a look at that. That wouldn't fly in the UK. All of the guidance says about Legionella bacteria. You, you couldn't ever put forward an argument of saying, well, look, the species we have, we don't think there's any evidence that it's pathogenic. It just wouldn't fly. There it's, it's written in black and white, it's Legionella bacteria. That's it. They will not accept any argument that way because their view is if any species of Legionella bacteria can exist, then the most dangerous ones can exist. And, you know, we all know that sampling as, as it is, I don't know what it's like in the US, the culture method here is still referred to on the HSE website as the gold standard. It is here as well. Yeah, that is, yeah it's, how old is that, that, that method? And it's incredible. And you can, you can get to a state where their isolation recovery rates might not be that good, but it's still deemed the, the gold standard. I attended a lecture on rapid sampling techniques. Brilliant. Full of loads of labs who had their qPCRs and they're all their different methods. And you could just all see them putting their faces in their hands where the HSE stood on stage and said, yeah, we still see the culture method as, as a gold standard. So Public Health England, for example, they'll use qPCR in an outbreak, but it will always be backed up in the culture method. We've stifled innovation over here to the extent that a technology, like COVID, we're all in the middle of this COVID epidemic. And what, we, what testing are we using? PCR testing. And yet, when it comes to Legionella, we, we use a method that will often take 10 days for you to get a result. It's incredible. John, lots of things to consider. Thank you for sharing your story. If you could just get one point across today, what would that one point be? New builds. The duty to manage. Uh, and ASHRAE 188 covers it. Do not start your water management from, it doesn't start from day of handover. It starts from the, the moment you design that system or you construct that and you've got to be managing it all the way through. And concept of a water safety group you know this multidisciplinary group it's not one individual water treater's responsibility you can't have all of the skills you need to manage this you need a good water treater you know you might need some microbiological expertise you might need some construction and plumbing ex expertise but new builds are a pro problem keep your eye out for them and implement one ashray 188 mate there we go John, I've got some lightning round questions for you, but I really want to thank you because you approached me with this. You said that uh, if, if we're all talking, we can learn from each other, we can make this better. And you initiated that. And I want the scale of nation to know how much I appreciate that. And nation, we're out there. We're the experts. Uh, we're constantly learning about this. But my ask is, is that you take this information, you take all information that you get, and, and you share that with the people that are making the decisions so they can make better decisions. Sometimes they'll seek you out. I've had some people uh, from the state of Georgia call me and ask me questions. They haven't done anything yet in the state of Georgia or in the city of Atlanta, but we do expect that. We don't know when that's going to happen. So they do want to hear from professionals. If you feel that you have that information, by all means, share it. If you feel that there is an expert out there that you can put them in touch with, by all means, do that. 
when people pass laws over emotions, when people die, somebody should have done something about this. People act very quickly because they, they want to show that that life matters. And, and of course, we understand that, but we also need to make sure that there's science behind that and there's history behind that. And all these things that we're learning, we can start off better from the beginning if we're just out there and we're talking to each other. So, John, thank you for helping us start that conversation. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Trace. Loved it. Well, I'm not done with you yet, so don't, okay. don't say goodbye to me. Okay, well, so well, I, I ask these questions of all of my guests, and then we kind of compare and see how everybody does, and, and there's some wagering that goes on. No, there, I don't think there's any of that. Uh, but my first question, I'm going to start with, you have the ability to go back to your very first day as a water treater. Now, this is the day that Colin was interviewing you and gave you the job. So you can now visit yourself on that day, knowing what you know now. What advice would you give your former self? It would probably be, I think a lot of your guests have given this to the point that it's almost cliched. Ask questions. Say, I don't know. Competent people can say, I don't know. Can you explain that to me? I was surrounded by such brilliant people in my first job, including Colin Frayne. And I was too scared to show my ignorance. I wanted to come across as if I knew what I was talking about. And this is pre-internet days, Trace. And I just realized I wasted such a valuable resource. The time I had with Colin, I could have made better use of. If I want to get trained by him now, I've got to pay for it. Back then, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been free. Colleagues, an old friend of both mine and Colin that Colin would know, Dr. Vic Davis, who's sadly not no longer with us, I never said, I don't know enough. And I never said, can you explain that to me? And it's, it's like the old adage, the, the old thing Churchill used to say, where he said, what was it? Takes a lot of courage to stand up and speak, but it also takes courage to sit down and listen. I should have listened more and not been afraid to say, I don't know when I didn't know. We covered this earlier on the podcast that, that the first day is when you're the biggest expert you're going to be as a water treatment professional. Yeah, and then every exactly. day thereafter, you learn what you don't know. Exactly. John, what are the last few books that you've read? Oh, right. So I consume a lot of audible books, Trace, podcasts and audible books. So Anansi Boys by Neil Gaiman. Do you know Neil Gaiman? And I've noticed this about a lot of your guests. A lot of them have got like fantasy type that's their thing. So Neil Gaiman, that's, uh, that was a great book. The Anansi Boys is about, about two sons of a West African god, spider god, which doesn't sound that appealing, but it was cracking read. I then listened to The Blade Artist by Irvin Walsh, which is the guy who wrote Train Spotting. Do you remember that quite disturbing film from Scotland back in about heroin addiction and... Um, Back in Scotland, this is a, like a follow-up book, um, and it's good because the, the, it follows Francis Begbie, who was one of the most psychopathic characters from it, and he's actually moved to America in this book and married a, an American wife, which was excellent. But what I'm currently doing at the moment, Trace, is I've got the AWT technical reference manual in about seven parts on my iPad because guess what? You're taking an examination soon. I'm taking the examination on the 24th of August. Well, you're going to do great. We have no doubt about that. Uh, and there's a lot of metric questions on there because we have to do conversions into metric on that examination. So you'll be in your zone there. Ah, oh, cheers, Trace. When they make a movie about your life, who plays John? Well, I would like it to be someone like Tom Hardy because he's a good-looking fella. And I loved him in the end of Dunkirk when he was, I don't know if you've seen the film where he, lands a spitfire on the beach. But if you ask my family, Trace, they wouldn't say, uh, if they were just talking about my face, good looking isn't a phrase that would come up. They'd probably say character rather than good looking. So I'd go Steve Buscemi because uh, I love that guy. I loved him in The Sopranos. I loved him on Boardwalk Empire. I don't know, have you seen The Death of Stalin? I have not. Oh, watch The Death of Stalin. It's incredible. Where D Steve Buscemi plays Nikita Khrushchev, the former Soviet president. But he, the director, when he did the film, he said you, you've, he didn't want any fake Russian accents. So he said to all the characters, when you play the film, you speak in your own accents. So there's a few English accents in there. And Steve Buscemi plays Nikita Khrushchev speaking in a Brooklyn accent. 
and it's incredible. He's funny. I bet the guy would be a real fun guy. I'd love to go and have a beer with him. So Steve Buscemi, mate. Last question. You now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Uh, Churchill. One of my big, big heroes. Britain would have definitely lost the war and possibly Germany would have won the whole shooting match if it hadn't been for Churchill. I think he's resilience. People don't forget, like Lord Halifax at the time, there was a big, big move to actually appease, you know, make a peace with the Germans, and Churchill wouldn't have any of that. And as Brits, we like to claim him as our own hero. You know, he's, he's all British hero. We forget that he's actually half American. So he's, his mum was Jenny Jerome from Brooklyn, believe it or not. So even, even when it came to producing Churchill, the, the Americans helped us out. Churchill. And one of my favorite anecdotes of Churchill when he was in the Houses of Parliament with Nancy Astor, which was she would often be at loggerheads with Churchill. And she just once turned to him and said, If you were my husband, I would poison your tea. And he said, If you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to go out. He was a great raconteur, apparently. He was hilarious. I would, Churchill, great hero of mine. Well, John, thank you again for reaching out to me. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and experiences on what you've experienced over in the UK. And I know that that information is going to allow us to hopefully make some different decisions over here in the United States and, and hopefully all over the world where the Scaling Up Nation is. So thanks again, John. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a privilege, Trace. Thank you very much, mate. Nation, when you're aware what other countries are doing, you can be better prepared for the unknowns that your local government is going to throw at you when it comes to Legionella. The United States is probably one of the slowest countries to respond to Legionella. And when they actually decide to respond as a municipality, as a local government, they use other countries' documentation. So if you're concerned about that, if you want to know what to expect, if you start looking at what other countries are doing, you can get a good idea of what is going to come our way. And when you know more, you're better prepared to do something proactively instead of just reacting. Don't believe me? Ask somebody that does industrial water treatment in New York. Folks, their whole business was flipped upside down overnight. So the more you know, the better you can prepare. And that's really true on any topic. I get the chance to talk with people all the time and they say, Trace, I don't know anything about X. And I kind of think, well, why not? You know enough to say you don't know anything about it. Obviously, that either makes you curious or it bothers you or whatever it is, the fact that you know about the topic, go research it. Once you learn more about that topic, it, it's not scary anymore. You can actually do something with it. In fact, you can probably get more business because you understand that topic. So if it's Legionella, don't worry about it. Learn about it. If it's reverse osmosis, don't worry about it. Learn about it. When you learn about the things that you don't know, you are getting better drop by drop. And speaking of getting better drop by drop, here is James McDonald. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Research neutralizing amine distribution ratio. A facility steam distribution system can be a maze of piping with many uses, pressure reducing valves, and various distances. The boiler treatment you use may have one or combination of neutralizing amines in its formulation. What does the distribution ratio tell you about each one? 
How does knowing and neutralizing amines distribution ratio impact your decision on which neutralizing amines to use in a boiler system? Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Nation, all amines are not the same. So how do you know which one is the right one for your system? Knowing the distribution ratios as James is challenging us to do might help you from sending the wrong product into your customer. Nation, do you have an idea for a show? Well, let me know about it. Go to ScalingUpH2O.com, record your voice, and ask me your question. I will get it answered. I will even play your voice on the air, and I might even send you something because I like to send people stuff. So you never know unless you go to ScalingUpH2O.com and record your question. Nation, I absolutely love putting this podcast on for you week after week, and I can't wait to get you a brand new episode next week. Until that time, take care of each other, have a great week, and see you soon. Nation, it's hard to improve the day-to-day when we are stuck living in the day-to-day. And for one hour a week, you can join the group at the Rising Tide Mastermind so you can work on the business without being in the business. That one hour will change every other hour of the week. It's magic. It's not magic. It's how we get together. It's how we process issues. It's how we encourage each other. And it's how we just form these common bonds around each other. And there's a camaraderie that I promise you will not find anywhere else. To find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.